The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Peter approached Jesus and asked him, Lord, if my brother sins against me, how often must I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus answered, I say to you, not seven times, but seventy-seven times. That is why the kingdom of heaven may be likened to a king who decided to settle accounts with his servants. When he began the accounting, a debtor was brought before him who owed him a huge amount. Since he had no way of paying it back, his master ordered him to be sold, along with his wife, his children, and his property in payment of the debt. At that, the servant fell down, did him homage, and said, Be patient with me, and I will pay you back in full. Moved with compassion, the master of that servant let him go and forgave him the loan. When that servant had left, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a much smaller amount. He seized him and started to choke him, demanding, Pay back what you owe. Falling to his knees, his fellow servant begged him, Be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he had him put in prison until he paid back the debt. Now, when his fellow servants saw what had happened, they were deeply disturbed and went to their master and reported the whole affair. <coughs> his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant. I forgave you your entire debt because you begged me to. Should you not have had pity on your fellow servant as I had pity on you? Then in anger, his master handed him over to the torturers until he should pay back the whole debt. So will my heavenly father do to you unless each of you forgives your brother from the heart. The Gospel of the Lord. The note of forgiveness and the pleading for forgiveness and mercy runs through our readings today, but in very different keys. Our first reading emerges from a, set, a setting of real, mortal, physical peril and desperation. Those first words, with the, re, the words with which our first reading begins are very important. From the flames, Azariah stood up and called out. Now, imagine you were in a burning building. Would you be that eloquent as you called out to heaven for help? 
from the flames. He is in an oven with his companions. It has been heated to white hot. It is burning and they are being put to death. And there is this remarkable prayer that, that emerges. And note, however, that there's a calmness about those words. It's not what we would think would be the words of a man immersed in flames with mere moments left in his life. Note the calmness about it. It's the calmness of one who knows who he is and why he is in this situation. And it's not a plea simply of personal repentance. It's not a plea simply for personal mercy. It is rather first a statement of we as a people have gone so far wrong. Look what has come to us. And yet we know you still look upon us. I have nothing to offer you. We, your people, have nothing to offer you except hearts that are willing to be different. What a remarkable prayer that is. Not merely save me, but I give you a heart that is willing to change for you and to be changed by you. But it is a prayer from the desperation of earth rising upward to the greatness of God in heaven, asking for mercy. However, this question of mercy is recast a bit in our gospel when Peter's question to Jesus takes it away from our immediate attention toward heaven and brings it back down to how we deal with one another. And so note how our readings now will play with, on the one hand, the mercy that desperate fallen man, unable to save himself, needs from the Lord, to now Peter asking a question that talks about how desperate fallen man in need of mercy needs to treat his brother. And so he says, if my brother sins against me, how many times should I forgive him? And before we fall into the temptation of saying St. Peter doesn't get it, let's just own the fact that many times in our own lives, people sin against us and we simply don't forgive them. So Peter saying more than once is not saying a small thing. Peter saying seven times is not saying a small thing. Prescinding from the symbolic association of seven as the number of completeness and perfection, in other words, every time, and just lingering with seven as a number, meaning seven times more than once. Think of your own experience of those relationships that just don't work. That person who always lets you down. And how even if we manage to be forgiving once and it happens again and we forgive twice, 
We usually don't get to seven, do we? We've stopped short someplace before that. So even if we take his question on the most basic level possible, St. Peter is not proposing a small thing. If I feel wronged, significantly wronged by someone, how often should I forgive that? Seven times is a pretty generous offer. And this is where the Lord's answer then becomes quite remarkable. No, that's not enough. I say 77 times. Multiply that perfection well beyond what you think it can do. And that's how your forgiveness should be. And that is a surprising answer, this statement that symbolically multiplies perfection by 11. This answer that even on a practical level, if we just linger with seven as a number, I don't know that I've ever forgiven anybody 77 times. And so note, though, this this insistence that there must be something more abundant about your willingness to forgive. But how are we to understand that? The Lord says, let me help you. And so he says, this is why the kingdom of heaven can be understood to be like. And now Jesus is bringing it back to how God works. There's a master, and one of his servants owes him a significant debt, and he can't possibly repay it. And right away, we're in the category space of God and man. We all owe a debt to heaven that none of us can pay on his or her own. And so when it is time to settle accounts and the servant has not paid the debt, the master pronounces sentence because of the debt you have acquired. However you've acquired it, because of the debt you have acquired, you will lose everything. You will lose your freedom. Your family will lose its freedom. Everything you have will be taken from you, and suddenly confronted with the magnitude of this, how overwhelmingly steep his debt is, and the fact that his master is serious about it. The servant is overwhelmed, and he realizes that it's not simply that he can't possibly repay. It's repaying would literally require everything, and that still wouldn't be enough. And so he falls low before his master, and he begs. It's a simple request. Be patient with me. Just give me some time, and I I will. I will pay you back. And seeing how overwhelmed 
his servant is, the master we hear has pity on him. He has compassion for him, and he gives him that time. And so imagine the relief of the servant as he gets up, because he's just dodged a serious bullet. And he gets up, freed from the fact that he is about to lose everything, and he has a chance to make good. And no sooner does he step out of the master's home, and he begins his own journey home when he runs into one of his brother servants, who owes him something. And note what happens. Right away we get into, you owe me. And I wouldn't have been in so much trouble with him if you paid me on time. And so he threatens his servant. Jesus says he actually chokes him. And note the violence. Note the violence. There's violence that can well up within us when we think that we have something legitimate to hold against one another. And it is in that violence he speaks to his brother, who does exactly what he did. The words are almost identical. His brother's servant falls on his knees in front of him and says, be patient with me. Exactly what the first servant said. And I will pay you back. He asks for the same thing. Ineffectively the same words. Only he's rejected. There is no compassion in the heart of this man who received so much. And so he is sent to prison. But this doesn't happen simply in private. The other servants are aware of what happens. And as Jesus brings this element in, he's making a very profound point. Because this is not a parable about the world out there. It's a parable about the world in here, inside the church. It's a parable about servants who have a certain brotherhood. It's about those who have been gathered together by Christ and forgiven by Him. And what do we see? Nothing is more dangerous for the health of the body than when its members refuse mercy to one another. And they are so troubled by this withholding of mercy that they go directly to the Master about it, because they understand how terribly wrong it is. Now we pause here for a moment, because when we think of the great moral evils, we think of the great dangers, we usually name concrete actions. We'll speak about abortion, we'll speak about certain other tendencies, gross injustices, certain forms of immorality, and yet here the Lord puts something that is much more dangerous, arguably, than all of those things, but not so famous, not so popular to talk about, 
and that is the way we withhold mercy from one another. And that is a much greater stain on the body, a much greater danger for the church and for the world than all of these other things combined. Because all of those other things have their roots in the willingness to withhold mercy. And so this is one of the source sins. And note, this is why the other members of the body are troubled by it. They go to the master and they say, this is wrong. This is not how we should live. This is not who we are. And the master agrees. The master agrees. And that pitiless servant who was forgiven so much loses the pity that was given to him. What a remarkable, chilling parable this really is. Absolutely sobering and yet so very, very important. Because the lesson the Lord is putting forward is God is always ready to extend forgiveness to you. But the fruit of being forgiven, the fruit of receiving the mercy of God, is to allow that mercy to extend itself through you to others. And when you refuse that, you deny the mercy that you've been given. You turn your back on it. You throw it aside. And so here we have the Lord giving us a very particular face to that mysterious statement, be ye perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is that glorious perfection of God, that perfection in mercy, that perfection in willingness to forgive the one who comes honestly seeking relief, honestly seeking to change. And note how in this parable, mercy does not exist without justice. In justice, this man should be condemned. In justice, he should lose everything. And it is in the context of that justice that mercy then asserts itself. Where the Lord says, I know what is fair. And what is fair is that I take everything from you. But I choose not to hold against you what I have the right to hold against you. Oftentimes, our lack of forgiveness toward one another rests on that question of right. I have a right to be angry. I have a right to demand something from you. And we feel so empowered when we claim our rights, don't we? That marvelous arrogance of the heart that has a right to be angry. I have a right to be impatient. I have a right to be frustrated, and because I have a right, oh, I am going to exercise it, because that's what I do. And 
Note that mercy is, I have a right to be angry, and I will set it aside. I have a right to punish you, and I don't have to exercise it. I have a right to take from you, and I choose not to do that. Note how mercy often begins with the question of what is fair and leads to an answer of what is not fair. The beautiful thing about mercy, though, is the unfairness becomes a bonus for that one who is on the needy side of the equation. And this is how the heart of God works. And so Jesus is saying, that's who we are. That is who every single one of us is. We are all that first servant who owe everything, and that still wouldn't be enough to settle accounts. And the Lord in his compassion looks at us and says, I have every right to condemn you but I'm not going to. The next question then is, how do we receive that mercy? And the interesting thing is the joylessness of this man. He begged for forgiveness. He begged for his debt to be extended so he had an opportunity. He begged for a break. You would think he would leave there the happiest man on the planet. You'd think he would leave there and look at his brother's servant who couldn't possibly owe him a debt that great and say, I've just received so much more than you could possibly pay me. Don't worry about it. But, and that's where we often go wrong. We are perfunctory in our receiving of mercy. It's about my heart being wiped clean. It's about my slate being made clean. It's about me getting a fresh start as if that doesn't matter to anybody else. But it does. The real fruit of receiving forgiveness is a greater capacity to extend it to others. The real fruit of receiving and experiencing mercy is that little by little, we become more merciful ourselves. And the Lord gives this sobering, even stern example to St. Peter just to underscore how important it is to guard the heart against that hardness that seeks salvation for itself and only for itself without being willing to extend the gift of salvation and mercy to others. It's a common trap to fall into. It's a common trap to fall into. But once that happens, especially once that happens among believers, it becomes horrifyingly easy for that refusal of mercy to multiply itself in all kinds of areas, in all kinds of ways. And so many of the social ills that we see around us are sourced in that easy tendency to justify the refusal of mercy. How wonderful then 
that here in this place we can come forward in just a few minutes and stretch out our hands to Him who is mercy itself. And it's not confession, so don't raise your hands. But how many of us offended the Lord more than seven times over the last couple days? How many times should I forgive my brother? Seven? You know, in my case, it was probably 70 times seven I have offended the Lord. And yet I can show up here. And he is still willing to extend his gift of mercy to me and to you. How wonderful that is. As often as we come before him needing his mercy, he is willing to give it. But it comes with a price. The price of receiving it is to learn to go forth and share it. And we can't do it as perfectly as he does, but on any given day, we can all do it a little bit better. But that's the great thing, that mercy becomes a permanent abiding reality within me when I am willing to risk sharing it with another and laying aside, willingly, my right to be angry because I have a better right. I have the right to be compassionate too. And that is the more important right. Amen.